Hey, welcome along to Des Not Punk. Remind me, Stuart, is it 14 or 15? I think it's 14, Ewan, and hello, everybody. Hello, yeah, hello, hello. Uh, yeah, I think it's 14, and, uh, you know, we the last one we did was all about the uh, dispersion into goth. Well, this one is all going to be about a certain other area of the punk movement in the early 80s, and... Uh, I shall reveal our guest shortly, but uh, there's a couple of uh, things that I'd like to just go through before before we get to that. Uh, a bit of housekeeping. If you remember last time, we talked about how our Instagram had been hacked by some Bitcoin bloke who kept on posting up about how well he was doing on Bitcoin for weeks and everybody was telling, asking me, well, what are you talking about? You? And I thought this was meant to be about punk rock. And then I realised that we'd been hacked. But uh, so we set up a new one. The new one has, uh, you know, we've, we're generating some good good views and some good interest on it. And uh, so make sure you don't click on the Instagram that has the black flag, punk's not dead, uh, Des not punk logo. Sorry, bit of a whole part there. Even. Yeah, Freudian slip. It's the one with the exploited. Punk's not dead sleeve, but it says dead's not punk, right? We'll eventually get there. And uh, this this month's competition, um, I think partly because we got hacked, uh, nobody got it right. We had a few people guess who the two females were in the picture. Um, but uh, I'll give a shout out to Paul May, who suggested it may be the wonderful Strawberry Switchblade, but uh, unfortunately it wasn't. So for all you that were wondering, it was Lydia Lunch and Exine Cervenka from the LA punk band X, uh, photographed in 1980. Uh, And I did a wee bit, I I really liked X when they, they came out in the sort of late 70s and early 80s. And I was doing a bit of research on them today, and sadly, Exine has multiple sclerosis, and uh, you know, it, she's she's still there, she's still campaigning, she's still getting uh, treatment for it, and she's campaigning against Trump. She's still got a political agenda going on, which is great, and uh, you know, but two great women to be celebrated in, uh, you know. What was normal, what what punk was, was a very male-dominated arena. And, uh, it, I, you know, as I said before, sure, I like to, you know, celebrate the fact that, you know, this is a podcast open to everybody from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all race, creed, colour, religion, LBGTQ, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that's who it was. Lydia Lunch, who most famously went on to, I think, work with Nick Cave. Uh, from the birthday party. So did anybody uh, get that? No, so nobody got that one. So I'll make it a lot easier this week, yeah. you know, uh, based on the fact that nobody got that. But uh, And then, you know, over the last month, I've been to see a few shows, and uh, I know you were at Glastonbury, Stuart, as was I. Uh, it was really interesting, Glastonbury, because, and remember, these are my opinions. They're there to generate uh, opinion, and please agree, disagree, shout back. Knock me down on Instagram if you feel like it or on Twitter. But uh, I felt like Glastonbury this year was a bit like, you know, it was as though punk never happened. Well, there was one really good thing that happened, of course. And <clears throat> we're sort of a little way into the podcast. So I'm going to mention The Damned. Um, yeah, well I, well, I saw The Damned at Glastonbury. You weren't there. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I, 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 uh, I fell asleep due to <laughs> intoxicating liquor. But um, right. 
But uh, uh, look, uh, we saw some great bands. Uh, we went to see Benefits together, who I thought were brilliant. Yep. Being the most relevant band of the weekend, certainly more relevant than the nonsense on the Pyramid stage. Um, well, in, in fact, there was a band on a couple of bands before Benefits called Dead Letter, who I've yeah. got a special mention to as well, who are very much in that post-punk arena. But uh, the use of the saxophone in their set, not overused, but it definitely added a different edge to their sound. And then, you know, Gen 6, I mean, Steve Jones, Paul Cook, Billy Idol, Tony James, they know it's a laugh. They're doing it for a laugh. Treat it as a laugh. They're not trying to be serious. It's not Guns N' Roses, right? You know, they're having a bit of fun playing songs that they grew up with and they loved. And they're doing it, you know, as a bit of fun. Treat it as a bit of fun. Because I've had some comments from people going, oh, what are they doing that for? That's a bit, that's a bit rubbish. It's fun. And it was fun in a, a hot Saturday afternoon. Unlike the pretenders who were... You know, again, I saw the Pretenders back in 79, 80. I just thought it was dull. It was like going to a nursing home and watching somebody performing in a nursing home for the uh, residents in a nursing home. And to pull out Johnny Marr and uh, have McCartney at the side of the stage. And then I've got to say this, Stuart, I must say this comment about Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl would turn up at the opening of a supermarket I know. Well, he I was is such back at the crisps yesterday, and yeah, uh, yeah. Dave Grohl popped out. Exactly. Well, you know, when the Just Stop oil processors ran on at the cricket on on Thursday, and uh, the wicketkeeper carried the guy off, there's a meme going round with yeah. Dave Grohl's head on the top yeah. of the Just Stop oil processor. Yeah, yeah. he is we'll such we'll, an he's we'll such a media Dave Grohl because I want I want to talk to our guest about. Uh, <laughs> about a topic in relation to him a little bit later. Okay, okay. But on that, on that, I would say, you know, he's ruining what the foos were all about. The foos have become the status quo of American rock. <laughs> all right. I mean, I'm waiting for Rick Parfit to come on with the, the foo fighters and uh, and everything that Kurt stood for is all wrong. What Dave's, Dave's doing, but hey, fair play to him, let him get on with it. One final mention to the hardest, heaviest, thrashiest band I saw at the weekend, which was 2am on Saturday morning on the Truth Stage, which is run by the guys from Eric. And uh, Empire State Bastard is the new band by Simon Neal from Biffy Clyro. Yeah. yeah, it also features uh, Dave Lombardi from Slayer. Is that his name, Dave Lombardi from Slayer? Is the drummer? That's close enough. Yeah, that's, that's close enough. Panic curse on you. Yeah, so, you know, I'm going to give a special mention to them and a lot to Simon because I sent him a link to the, the pod, so uh, all good. But on to this week's pod. Over the last month, I mean, we received quite a few emails of praise and emails of uh, slagging us off and, you know, what are you doing? You're two old men trying to keep the faith in a scene and all that, right? And we, we really enjoy it. It's really, it's something that's really helped us in you know in in a in in a changing world and to get a letter from a certain Alan Lutit, I think it's Lutit, tell me if I'm saying that wrong, from Glasgow, who I have no idea who you are, even though I'm originally from that neck of the woods as well, to say just wanted to say your podcast is fantastic. And towards the bottom of his email, he said he used to be in a band in the late 70s and early 80s. And he said, we played a couple of gigs, changing our name along the way, 
due to being very disruptive and our small following of fans were, to say the least, over-exuberant in their support. Anyway, I digress. Those early gigs gave us a good grounding for what we were to come. And after starting to listen to Discharge, Disorder and Chaos UK, we decided to move to the newly formed hardcore scene and become one of the first bands to do this in Scotland. I left the band after two years, but they went on to be quite influential and got a section in Ian Glasper's book, Trapped in a Scene, UK Hardcore, 1985-89. to I'm actually referenced as Chip Heed in the book due to my longish, unkempt barnet that looked like, as our guitarist Johnny said, he looks like he's been looking for chips. And, <laughs> well, Alan, I have a surprise for you. Yeah. Stuart, would you like to would you like to introduce well, who our guest is this week on the I, podcast? Because I'm uh, really pleased to uh, have Ian Glasper on the pod, um, and uh, I'm going to welcome him on, on now. Uh, hello, Ian. Nice to hi, Ian. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Hugh. Hugh, and it's uh, nice to make it happen at last. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I know we've been uh, yeah we've been playing sort of email tag and diary Tetris. For the last little while, so it's brilliant. And um, Glastonbury got in the way, and uh, so it's great to have you on now. And there's lots to talk about. Um, great to hear a little reference there. So thanks for the uh, very eloquent introduction tonight, Ewan, which is very unlike oh. you. Um, that must that must be the elocution lessons that my mother sent me to when yeah, I was eight, when I was yeah. when I was fighting the punk wars. Well, I was actually fighting the glam rock wars at that point, you know. Yeah, but definitely obviously, obviously, yeah. elocution didn't work. Oh no, brown coal. So <laughs> enough of that. So Ian, yeah. fantastic to have you along. Now, I mean, there's so much to talk to you about because obviously you come from being in a bands. I mean, there's a there's a few of them, isn't there? I think Stamping Ground and. Uh, was it uh, Decadence Within? It was, yeah, and um, War Wound and Thirty Six Strategies, and I'm in Zero again at the moment. Free Base. I was, yeah, I played in Free Base just for one single and a, a few tours. And obviously, uh, you, there was a bit of bass playing in Flux of Pink Indians, which we'll come back to because obviously that deserves yes. probably a whole podcast in its own in its own right. Given that was fun, yeah, yeah. So, what era was that in Flux? It was 2008 when they reformed for the Steve Ignorant benefit gig at the Shepherd's Bush. We went to it. Um, we were there. Yeah, we, we were yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. So we reformed just for that gig, really, I think. And um, I don't think Derek was interested. And I recent, well, relatively recently interviewed Colin and Kevin uh, for my book, about Anarcho Punk, and um, I think I said in passing, if you ever reform and need a bassist, I know all your songs. And um, I got the call a few years later. <laughs> and, uh, I didn't know all their songs. I only knew Tube Disaster. So yeah, well, that's the one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember being in a band and playing bass and a punk band, and uh, I kind of learned to play the bass to the epileptics version of Tube Disasters because... That found the baseline quite easy to pick up. If you, you know, it was uh, wasn't that many strings. <laughs> you didn't have to do too much. But um, that's amazing. So the book you're referring to, though, that that is the history of anarcho punk. I take it. Which, yes. Yeah. Which was that sort of eighty to eighty four period, which is. And, and how and how did you how did you get into writing? You know, from being in Barnsley, and was it 
was it fanzine culture or stuff like that around about that time? Or? Yeah, so it, it was fanzine culture. So I, I was buying fanzines and sort of suitably inspired by people, you know, just anyone writing a fanzine. I thought, I'll, mm. I'll give it a go. And I did a fanzine called um, Little Things Please Little Minds. I did five episodes in the around about 85 86 i think and you know just handwritten xerox by my friend's mum in a lunch hour at work and um, sold for sort of 10 pence and then uh, from there i just got into writing for magazines so i was writing for for record collector um terrorizer was the first Mm -hmm. magazine i started writing for a metal yeah, yeah. Extreme music magazine. I wrote for them for 25 years. But, you know, it was when I was writing for Record Collector and I was reviewing a lot of punk books for them in the sort of late 90s. And I, I, it just struck me how many, you know, how many books do we need on the Sex Pistols and the Clash? You know, <laughs> when, um, when was someone going to write one about Discharge? Exactly, exactly, and I've pro- I, and I've probably got most of the ones on the Sex Pistols and the Clash. Yeah. So it was it was entertaining when you know you would see one, you think, oh, I really fancy looking at that because that's a different part of the scene. There is yeah. there's far too there's a plethora of books out there on you know on punk as well in general, and it's always mm-hmm. concentrated on the Roxy and you know McLaren and the Pistols and Vivian and you know. And it was, it, it was great to see that there's other books, you know, and are those books available in Waterstones or are they in the anarchy, anarchy bookshops or, you know? No, they are um, They are widely available. So the original, the first book I did was Burning Britain. And yeah, yeah. Um, then I did The Day the Country Died and Trapped in a Scene. And they were all, all three of those were about the 80s. And they were through Cherry Red. And I think, you know, eventually... I mean, they they sold very well through Cherry Red, um, but then they licensed them to PM Press in America, right? Um, okay, who've, who've kept them in print? You know, I think, you know, when Cherry Red, like I know, the last five hundred they did took five years to sell or whatever. They probably thought, yeah, we're not going to reprint mm. it. Um, so we expanded the books and just put a bit of extra content in for the US versions and. Um, PM Press have kept them in, you know, in print ever since. But do you find that, you know, uh, when that, even going back to like sort of 84 and stuff like that, and a lot of those bands, you know, were, were not going to America at that point. They were, you know, basically it was UK and Europe was the touring at that point mm-hmm. for them. But the renaissance of all those bands now in America GBH are stuck. I think they're doing about eight weeks in America at the moment, right? And you know the renaissance of that. It, it's almost like they never got it the first time round because they had their fugazis and their black flags and their bad brains and all that. And we had this thing going on in the UK. And I think that I don't want to use the word heritage, but I think there's a whole people, a whole new generation in America are discovering what we were up to after the Pistols and the Clash, and you know. I think, um, I mean, there's a, there's a, it's talked about a lot in the Subhumans book. I don't want to jump ahead of the interview. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, stuff from America seemed exotic to us and stuff from the UK seemed exotic to them. But 
um, some of those bands like, you know, English Dogs, who were only maybe pulling a couple of hundred people here, mm-hmm. you know, went went to the States in, I don't know, 83 or 84. And, um, you know, That's pulled 3,000 3, people. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, they, yeah. they did, you know, did some huge shows over there. And um, Subhumans and GBH were bands that went over there, usually through the Golden Voice um, promotion yeah. agency. And um, played that huge enormous bowl in LA. I can't remember what the, what it was called, but okay. you know, I think they Hollywood um, Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. Oh no, yeah, it wasn't the Hollywood Bowl. I can't no, remember no. the name of it, but um, the Olympia or something like that. Right. Okay. And um, you know, if they they played those gigs, and I don't know, they kind of attained a sort of legendary status that won't. You know that they they won't lose over there, and mm. um, you know the people that saw them in '84, their kids and their grandkids are going to go are going to see them. Now you know there's that enduring connection with those bands. The Addicts were another band. Yeah, you know, like ten times bigger in the states than they are. There's also the an UK. interesting thing when you talk and you listen to interviews with people like seminal American bands like. Bad Religion or even the sort of latter stuff like No Effects and Green Day and, you know, the bands that became huge. And when you they talk about their influences, they cite a lot of these bands as mm. bands that really influenced them in those early days. And, of course, they had such huge, huge fan bases that mm. those sort of new, that next generation have gone out and discovered what those stickers on the guitar were and, you know, these T-shirts. That, you know, you see Fat Mike from No Effects and... Tim Armstrong from Rancid wearing a Subhumans T-shirt, and and of course, they're turning a whole new generation of kids on. So, it is quite interesting to see how uh, how all of that sort of like sort of hangs together now. But I think you make a good point, you, in that there is a sort of resurgence of interest, and, and I also think that you know, you know, well, in, in in Amoeba in in LA, the last time I was in LA, which was about a year ago, Amoeba. When you go to the merch in Amoeba, the amount of anarcho-punk bands, there's a whole section for anarcho-punk bands, and it's all British ones, like it's Flux, it's Crass, it's, you know, Subhumans, all of that. And it's, you know, you're just like, wow, where are, where are all these people, you know? And, and unfortunately, when I've been in L.A., it's been for work or I've been visiting friends and there's never been any punk gigs on I've managed to go to while I've been there. But... Uh, yeah, there's definitely scenes in, and I'm sure it's like when you try and break a band in America. I'm sure you've got you've got New York, you've got Miami, you've got LA, you've got Seattle, you've got Chicago along the top. I don't know if there's much going on in Middle America in anarcho punk. You know, does it does it challenge country in the Christian rock scene? I don't know. <laughs> I'd be interested to find out. So, so well, I mean, I, I was just going to say, in you, you know, I think you've done. Well, is it six books now with the Subhumans book? Because you did the other uh, contract in Blood, which was about thrash metal as well, didn't you? Which wasn't I think about. the Subhumans book is my seventh. Um, yeah, so I, I did the three on the 80s. I did one on the 90s. I did the thrash metal book. Then I did one... Longed with on, Anger, the one on the 90s. Yeah, yeah. And then I did the thrash metal book, the UK thrash metal book. And then I did one... Uh, the scene that would not die, which is like post-millennial UK punk. So I wanted to concentrate on some contemporary bands. So that would. And, been... and, and you found 
I think I was reading a review today. I think it was 11, 111 new contemporary bands in that book. Is that right? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I think I found I listed 222. So we're going to do two volumes. I split it in half. Right. Okay. <laughs> but, but, what, but one of the bands that was mentioned is a band that we've supported on the pod in the past, which is Bad Breeding. Uh, yes. who, yeah, who we, who, we really, who we really like here. Uh, excellent band. And it's great to see what what it seems like just by, by reading what I was reading today. It looks as though there's little pockets of scenes in the UK that people will join together and they'll put on their own DIY shows. It's not like every town's got their punk band. It's like, you know, there's little pockets of people that have found themselves through social media and the internet and Facebook and stuff like that. And they're putting on their own shows and it's that DIY ethic and it. Which is what punk's all about. It's all about coming together and having fun with your mates and trying to make a difference. I think the the DIY ethic is is stronger than ever at the moment. And um, I, I know you're talking about Glastonbury earlier, but I mean, I, I would much much prefer these days to go and watch a band with seventy or eighty people in the back room of a pub than a, a, <laughs> a, a huge gig, you know, and be fleeced for the Please for the drinks money and the merch <laughs> money and yep. you know um, and I think that there's a, a really thriving underground scene yeah. uh, in the back rooms of pubs all around the UK at the moment and um, you know and it's five pound to get into these gigs usually benefits and stuff like that you know and it, it still cleaves very closely to the the anarcho punk sort of um, scene of the early eighties I think there seems to be a new generation of of bands coming through that kind of have an attachment to those sentiments and to that, that kind of scene and, you know, probably spearheaded by people like Sleaford Mods, but you've also got Benefits who we mentioned earlier on and a sort of clutch of bands around that, though, although they're not playing traditional kind of punk music and there's a bit of, you know, electronica and stuff in there, they're definitely political and they're definitely embracing the same you know, and Bad Breeding is probably slightly different. They're assigned to Derek's label and they're sort of very yeah. by sort of flux and that whole kind of scene. But outside of that, there are, you know, we went to see Benefits and Meryl Streak and, you know, and Scrounge and there were these other bands that are, have got the same social commentary and the same sentiment. And, and there is a, a building kind of fan base around that, which is great to see. And you and I have spent what feels like a little bit of time in the sort of wilderness, really, waiting for the next kind of thing I mean, I suppose after punk, it was kind of acid house to a certain extent because it had a very sort of anti-authoritarian, anti-establishment kind of point to it. But this new sort of generation of bands is actually finding quite reassuring. And hope, you know, maybe you're here and will be on, you know, the new the new radical scene in the UK. Not that I'm giving you any ideas here, but you know, I'll tell you what we haven't done is we've not talked about your current book, which you referenced a little bit earlier on, because book number seven, of course, is you know, the Subhumans book. And uh, I, and, I, and we were talking a little bit about it earlier on about, um, you know, whether it's out or not. And you're, you're telling me it is, even though I've been waiting for my uh, my copy in, in, from Amazon, which is my little bit part of trying to get Jeff Bezos a new spaceship. But um, I'm going <laughs> to cancel my Amazon order and I'm going to get it from somewhere more reputable. God damn and it. Ho- and, and hope that his spaceship implodes the next time he goes up. Yeah. See how relevant we are on this podcast. See how relevant we are. How up with the news we are. Go yeah. on, implode, Jeff. Implode. Yeah, please. But we've got we've got 
we've got about five minutes, five, well, maybe a little bit longer to go. And I, I do want to talk about the new, the new book. Mm. Silence is no reaction. 40 years of the subhumans. And I, and I, I remember every single one of those 40 years in, <laughs> and I've, <laughs> I've been to, I can't even remember how many subhumans gigs and I've loved every one of their albums. And, uh, you know, just such a great band and you know and uh we were talking earlier on before you, we came on air and um i was saying about how I, I sort of spent quite a lot of time in the west country and i and i know dick lives in bath and i used to see him about the place and and he, and mark wilson over at rockaway park is a good friend of mine and i see him there and, he, and, he, and his partner michelle and uh so i'd really like to learn and, and hear a little bit from you and kind of what it was like to to write the book given the subhumans were so so kind of important to the scene Yes, I mean, I I shied away from writing a book about one, just one band, but I knew I, in the back of my mind, I sort of knew I was going to do it at some point. And there were only two or three bands that sort of I thought I could really write a book about. Um, and Crass had already been done several times. Rudimentary Peni, you know, I'd love to do it, but it's just going to be too difficult. They're too reclusive. Um you know, discharge again, very important to me, and maybe, just maybe, I might still do that. But the Subhumans were right at the top of my list because I learned to play bass plonking along to Subhumans records as well as Tube Disaster. Yeah. Um, but you know, I was ordering cassettes from Dick, you know, in his Blurg tape label as far back as '81, '82. Um, went to see them several times. Saw their first, last gig um, mm. in. Minster, my band Decadence with him, put them on a couple of times and played with them. You know, big emotional connection to, to the music and the lyrics. Uh, you know, and, and I knew they were very approachable. And I just reached out to them and said, look, you know, I really want to write a book. It's going to be the definitive, the definitive book on the subhumans. No one else will ever have to ask you another question about the subhumans because we're going to answer literally everything in this book. Uh, so it does go pretty pretty deep <laughs> this book um and surprisingly dick dick said yes uh you know because i always thought deep down dick would probably one day write this book himself because he's such a literate sort of person yeah. um but he's also very modest so it hadn't really crossed his mind to write a book about his own band um so yeah it was just happy coincidence i really wanted to do it and they trusted me with it you know they were the perfect band for me to write about and thankfully they you know they're all still alive they're all contactable mm. um you know and they, and several of them especially dick kept very very in-depth diaries which is a, a godsend when you're trying to write a book and people are arguing about what date this gig was or who played them <laughs> that yeah Who's, who, su who supported who, when, and yeah. what way you it was. And just no, it was, it was yeah, you get the diary, yeah. you can see the whole tour guide, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, so that, you know, in the back of the book, there's a list of every single gig they ever played, who who they played it with, when it was, where it was, how many people were there. So there's a gigography in the back of the book. Wow. Um, you know, and uh, so it was a very easy book to write. It was very enjoyable. I, I went down to Dick's sort of every weekend for six weeks and then I caught up with all the other members and you know everybody close to the band artists who drew their covers people who drove them on tour 
other local bands like Organized Chaos and the A-Heads and Smart Pills yeah. and stuff. So, yeah, a real deep dive and it was thoroughly enjoyable. And I think, you know, the band are very pleased with it and everyone who's read it, you know, fans of the subhumans who, um, you know, were terrified that we were going to trench their legacy and their opinion of the band are absolutely, you know, they seem really, really pleased with it. And, well, I can't um, wait to read it. And uh, I think um, it's worth just mentioning that it's out on Earth Island Books, I think, in, over here. And PM Earth Island in the UK, PM, PM Press, Press in the US. In the States. Yeah. And, and you can get it from all good bookshops, uh, and, yeah. as well as the, you know, the, 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 the evil empire online. Um, I'm going to be. And is there, is, it, is there a lot of the, the graphics of the artwork in it as well, Ian? There's a there's literally hundreds of flyers. There's hundreds of unseen yeah. pictures. Um, there's original lyric sheets as Dick first wrote the lyrics out in his school book or whatever. You know, literally wow. we we've got everything, got everything in there. It's amazing. If well, you're a subhumans fan, you know, you're gonna flip your lid like when you read it. Well, excellent. That's definitely me. Look, we are unfortunately running a little bit out of time. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna actually play us out with some subhumans but oh, excellent. Do that, i just wanted to thank you ian for uh finally making it on yeah. <laughs> to our uh diy no podcast and really brilliant to pleasure. have you on and i actually quite like to you know perhaps have you on again at, at some other time um to talk you know a little bit more about this because you know dick is one of those well the subhumans in general are one of the people that we really like to have on the on the podcast i mean we, we're working our way through some guests we had steve on from ignorant on a little while ago etc be great to have the two of you on uh, to talk about it well, um, it's, it's an yeah my, yeah my and I, I, you know i'd also like to talk more about the burning britain book because that was definitely yeah, yeah. My, that was definitely my era from you know discharge gbh the exploited all of that and it would be great to just get your insight into that book as well just like you've done with the subhumans there so you know It'll help you sell books. It'll you know open it up to people who might never have thought to buy that book at any time. But you know, so we'll make this part one of two, or maybe yeah. three. <laughs> but I am going to play. Ter- I'm going to yeah. play terrorist in waiting now by the subhumans because a little bit of that. Stay on that. Stay on though, Ian, because we'll, we'll once we've played a bit of this, we'll come back to you to do our goodbyes. Okay, so uh, no, stand no. by. I am. I and this is terrorist in waiting by the subhumans. Fucking great track. doesn't convince you to go out and buy the book i just don't know what will so um, wow yeah so <laughs> thanks <laughs> yeah so thanks once again to uh to ian for coming on and uh being yeah. a brilliant a brilliant guest and uh 
we'll we'll be, we'll be back in a couple of weeks um and uh who knows what delights we'll we'll, we'll have then but ian great you know um we'll hook up with you on email again uh in over the next few days we'll let you know when, when this goes up on spotify and um let's see if we can reconvene and drag dick onto the podcast uh, uh you know <laughs> I think that, that, yeah, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Hold the book up again, Ian, because it looks like a hell of a a hell of a tome, as they say. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh it's, yes. It's, it's my birthday in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to be telling my my partner. No, no, it's it's already it's already on order, Stuart. Don't you worry. Don't, and I'll not be buying it. I'll not be buying it off Jeff. Um, one one final thing. One final thing. I'd like to just give a shout out to two people. One who I went to the Damned with and one who I met at the Damned last week. Greg, you were a great partner to stand and watch the Damned with and uh, I hope you're enjoying the pod. And to Kate, thanks for letting me drag you to see a band that you never thought you'd ever see in your lifetime. Nice one. I think we're out of time. So thanks, everybody. See you next time.